It's the Victorian Variety Show. This is the Victorian Variety Show podcast, where I talk about a wide variety of phenomena from the Victorian era that you might not have studied when you learned about this period of history in school, or that you might not seen represented very often in the media. My name is Marissa, and if you're a regular listener of my show, first of all, thank you. You might have know that I usually start off the show either with a quote from a story or poem or novel from the Victorian era, or perhaps from a newspaper or magazine from that era, or from a contemporary scholarly journal or magazine that is looking at that area. But I'm doing a few things different this week. And also, if you're a regular listener, you probably know that I normally put out new episodes every other Saturday. I originally had a pre-recorded episode scheduled for yesterday because I'm recording this and putting this out on Sunday, but I ended up taking that down. The reason that I originally recorded that planned episode and also am putting this episode out a day late is because I needed a day to get caught up after Hurricane Ian. I live in southwest Florida. To give you an idea of what I've been doing the last week and a half, basically, if you're familiar with Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel, you might know that he tends to go to areas that are expected to bear the brunt of the storm. In fact, some people believe that he brings bad luck. In other words, if Jim Cantori shows up, the storm will hit. And Jim Cantori was originally sent to the beach a few miles from where I live. Now, granted, when the news came out earlier last week that the storm had started to turn to the south, he ended up leaving and going to another town south of here. But just to give you an idea, my area was supposed to get hit hard from Hurricane Ian. In the end, we had some branches come down. I lost power for some time, and I also lost Wi-Fi until Friday evening. But what happened here was nothing compared to what happened about two to two and a half hours south of me. Not having internet or cable for two days, I really didn't have any idea of just how bad the storm was for the people who did bear the brunt of it. And it's just, it's, it's just something I'm still trying to wrap my brain around now on Sunday morning. As of this morning, over 60 people have been reported dead and entire neighborhoods are gone. They're just flooded with water. It's just, it's just unimaginable. And there are so many people suffering. There are people stranded on islands down there that they're wondering when they're going to be rescued. It's, it's just, it's... I, I don't even I don't even have the words. So what I'm going to do is if you would like to help victims of Hurricane Ian, 
it would be so much appreciated by so many people who are suffering right now. I'm going to leave some links in the show notes that you can check out if you would like to donate. There are some really good aid organizations, definitely the American Red Cross, American Humane that helps out the animals because a lot of animals were also displaced uh, during the storm. I'm also doing something a little different this week because for the very first time in Victorian Variety Show history, I have a guest and it's a guest that I am really excited about. I had an opportunity in July to speak to Lindsay Valenti of the Yield Crime podcast, which I am a huge fan of. I appeared on a segment of her show, like a special episode called Can You Crack the Cramp Word? I really enjoyed speaking to Lindsay, and I definitely wanted to talk to her again. And I was really happy when she suggested that she would like to find out more about Spring-Heeled Jack and come on my show to talk about him. Spring-Heeled Jack is a character that I originally came across in my first full episode on Penny Dreadfuls last summer. And... I have been wanting to learn more about Spring-Heeled Jack, but doing episodes every other week, there have been so many other topics that I've wanted to cover that I I kind of forgot about Spring-Heeled Jack until Lindsay mentioned him again. So I just thought it would be an excellent opportunity to not only find out more about him personally, but also to let all of you know everything you might have wanted to know about Spring-Heeled Jack. So with no further ado, here is my interview with Lindsay, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. My guest today is Lindsay from the Yield Crime podcast, which I am a huge fan of. And uh, Lindsay is the first guest that I have had on my podcast. So welcome, Lindsay. Uh, It's awesome to talk to you again. I really enjoyed doing your show. Uh, I think it was, I think I, we recorded it in July, but it ran, was it earlier this month? Yeah, I think it was late August is when it came out, I think. I can't remember. (laughs) But it came out in August sometime. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I'm really glad that we're getting to uh, talk again. And before we go into the topic of tonight's podcast, Lindsay, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, what ye old crime, uh, not really what it's about, because the material that you cover is so broad, but just Mm kind of give listeners a general idea of what your podcast like what you like to cover on your podcast sure so my podcast is one that i do with my younger sister madison and every week we cover topics that took place pre-1900 and the reason we kind of went that route is because i don't know if you know this but the true crime market is very saturated when it comes to podcasts Um, (laughs) and I really love history and I love learning about different aspects of history. So I was trying to find a way to marry the two passions without kind of, while being able to kind of stand out in the true crime genre, I guess. Right. Is that best a good way of putting it? Yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds good. I always enjoy the cases that you come up with. Uh, the one that you talked about today, that was that was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it went through a lot of twists and turns. That's 
for sure. Yeah, my memory's not that good. I don't remember the name of the woman you talked about. I think it was Margaret. Yep, Margaret Dixon. Yeah, yeah, Which that was is, a good one. Yeah, that was one. It's a Scottish case, and it was one, like I kind of mentioned, that I'd heard of previously, but I really only knew her by her nickname, which... I won't say because I don't want to spoil the episode because it kind of spoils everything if you know what her nickname is. And then researching it, I was like, oh, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's always the <laughs> But yeah. it was really fun to kind of dive into her story and be able to tell it. So, Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, to uh, my listeners, uh, definitely check out that episode and also previous episodes of Yield Crime, because whether you like history or whether you like uh, Victorian history or all kinds of history, there's something there that you'll definitely, you'll definitely like. So uh, yeah, definitely Thank check you. that out. And um, today I think we're going to talk about spring Jack, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, yeah. I, I talked a little bit about spring Jack in my very first episode on Penny Dreadfuls, Mm -hmm. But I really would like to hand it over to Lindsay as much as possible today. Uh, Lindsay, what got you interested in Springheel Jack? I think part of what got me interested in him is because he was such a bizarre character to kind of come out in the Victorian era. I mean, people were just couldn't figure out if it was like a man or a beast or he was described as a devil. You know, like people... He's kind of like the Victorian era's version of an urban legend. Like, people really couldn't figure out what he was. And I think that's kind of what drew me into learning about him, because he was just described in so many different ways that it was interesting to kind of learn more about why he was described that way and learn more about kind of the history of when people were talking about him after the fact. And obviously, like, the Penny Dreadfuls was one of the versions in which People learned more about him, but there's a lot more to his story than you first think when you first hear about Spring Hill Jack, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I did a little research yesterday just to kind of get an idea, and it looked like the Penny Dreadfuls came about quite a while after people started spreading stories about Spring Hill Jack. So what were some of the early incidents that led to the development of Jack, these stories, and maybe them being spread? So spring Jack, he kind of came about from a combination of English folklore and like Victorian literature in like the late 1830s. And he, his first noted appearance was in 1837. He kind of evolved into this sort of like boogeyman for the children of London who were basically yeah. told by their parents, as parents tend to do when we like to kind of play tricks on our children, that he would leap up and peer into their windows at night if they didn't listen to their parents, which is horrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of mentioned before, like his appearance kind of seemed to change depending on kind of who you'd ask. But it was generally believed that he was tall and thin. His supernatural appearance, if you will, included clawed hands, which one of the, his victims described as as cold and clammy as a corpse, which is oh, gross. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> which is really gross. Um, <laughs> not to mention that in place of eyes, he has red balls of fire, which mm. is also terrifying. Yeah, definitely. 
and he was described as being able to breathe blue and white flames with his phosphorus breath, which also horrifying. And many people noted that he was able to, he was capable of speaking English and kind of had a high pitched ringing laugh that he would emit as he was like making his escapes. Yeah. The whole thing combined is extremely terrifying. If you like put all the pieces <laughs> together, like I'm picturing a more demonic version of Slender Man, if you will, with like the, the claws and the glowing red eyes and the horrible breath. That's interesting. Um, I am really, like, when I'm not looking up Victorian history, I actually am really into paranormal stuff. Sure. And pr especially cryptozoology. That's been my mm -hmm. biggest thing lately as far as the paranormal. Like, I love ghosts, but I'm really, really into cryptozoology. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking over one of the articles I was reading yesterday, the description of how parents used to tell their kids, you know, be careful or Springheel Jack will look in your window or whatever. Yep. It reminded me of Mothman because I watched a few Mothman yes. documentaries a few weeks ago and they were saying that when the Mothman sign, and I know that there's been a lot of time has passed. I mean, the Mothman's sightings occurred in the 60s or they mm -hmm. began in the 60s anyway in West Virginia, and here's Victorian era, uh, spring Jack, but it reminded me so much of, like, mm -hmm. parents used to tell their kids, you better be good or the Mothman's going to come after you or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just amazing to me how how many similarities there are, like, among paranormal phenomena and uh, mm -hmm. legends and things like that over time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm really i'm really glad we're getting to talk about this subject for that reason as well because i would love to especially because this episode will probably air the first week in october and i like in october to cover spookier stuff so yep. yeah yep. this is <laughs> this is a great one to kick off october that's for sure definitely so uh some of the what were some of the uh first reactions to him because it looked like uh there were a few young women who claimed that they had had sightings of him and that's how the legend started to spread and grow yep so the first recorded sighting of jack was in october of 1837 by a servant girl named mary stevens and mary was walking alone at night through barnes common to lavender hill when a man suddenly jumped out of a dark alley and grabbed her tightly before kissing her and starting to rip off her clothes. So terrifying. She was somehow able to escape after screaming for help. And when people came to try and help locate her attacker, he was nowhere to be found. Sorry about the dog. And interestingly enough, hers is the only instance where he seems to follow her home. Because... The following day, a man matching Jack's description was spotted near her house, and he was reported to have jumped into the path of an oncoming carriage, which wow. caused the driver to careen off the road and actually severely injure himself. And spring Jack was said to have escaped by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall. Wow. <laughs> Hence the name, you know, spring -Heel. And that's a very common thing as well, as he was said to be capable of making any number of death-defying leaps, jump over not only walls, 
but entire houses and buildings in order to escape after he would attack people. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting to uh, to find out like where they get the names from. So how long did it take for the, I guess, the story to start spreading? Was it quickly, like like fairly quickly? Was it over like a larger geographical area, smaller area? Like, I always wonder with something like this, like, like what inspires people to start saying that they've had sightings? Well, the originally when the sightings first started, they were kind of in like smaller hamlets, I guess, kind of outside of London. So, for example, there was one in January of 1838 where a barmaid named Polly Adams was attacked in South London while she was walking across Blackheath in the evening. And it didn't really go into a lot of detail about how we should how she was attacked. That's really all we know about it. But the coverage of the case really started to pick up after the attacks of Jane Alsup and Lucy Scales. So on February 19th of 1838, Jane Alsup was attacked after she answered the door of her house for a man who was claiming to be a police officer who needed help after he had captured Springheel Jack. So he had asked her for a candle, and when she returned, he blew blue flames into her face and threw off his cloak, exposing his claws. Terrified, Jane's clothes were torn off with his claws, which she later reported to be metallic, like the claws had a metallic feel to them. Oh, wow. And she attempted to run to safety. He was able to scratch her neck and arms before, thankfully, she was saved by her sister, who was able to kind of pull her back into the house. And the creature, whether it was Jack or not, managed to escape before anyone could arrive there to help. And she later described him as having eyes like red fireballs, and his clothes appeared to be a tight-fitting oilcloth, and he was also wearing a helmet, which is interesting. Yeah. So following Jane's attack, a man named Thomas Milbank was actually arrested and tried at Lambeth Street Court after claiming that he was Springheeled Jack. I don't know why you would claim that, but he did. And happening. It's strange, but it seemed like a really common thing back then. I don't know if it was just the notoriety you would gain by you know, being in the media and things of that nature, but he was ultimately not convicted and released after he admitted that he was unable to spit fire, as Jane uh, Aslop claimed her attacker was able to do. So, because he sh- he couldn't shoot blue flames out of his mouth, he was acquitted. I guess they actually, did they ha- do you know if they, like, actually asked him to do it, like... I think they did, because she <laughs> was adamant that her attacker did that. And when he was like, yeah, I can't do that, they were like, okay, well, I guess it's not you. See you later. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which, I can't imagine being in that courtroom and just, oh, you can't throw flames out of your mouth? All right. I guess you're free to go. Um, wow. And then in the case with Lucy Scales, so... About two weeks after Jane's attack, um, on February 28th, 1838, Lucy Scales, who was 18 and the daughter of a butcher, was walking around Green Dragon Alley in Limehouse with her sister when she spotted a person standing in the passageway 
carrying a lantern, a lantern similar to the ones that police officers would use at the time, and they're called a bullseye lantern. Think of the really giant oil lamps that you would carry around on the big pole. That's kind of what it was. And he then jumped at her and spit blue flames into her face. Oh. And it's reported that Lucy went into violent fits. People think it was likely a seizure, which she experienced for several hours following her attack. Wow. And it was it was really following these attacks that the media and even the government, like the Lord Mayor of London, were really taking an interest in the case and trying to figure out who this guy was so they could obviously arrest him and get him to stop attacking the women at night. Wow. There's there's so much that I'm thinking of that, like, it just reminds me of so much. Like, when the woman that he showed up at her door, it, mm -hmm. I almost think of a vampire appearing at the door and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, not going in until he's invited in, but, like, yep. I'm imagining that and, like, them posing as police officers. I mean, there's mm -hmm. just, there's just so much in this in mm -hmm. this story that's just fascinating to me like how it mm -hmm. how people just interpreted this and this is great how did it get to the point where i guess somebody decided that springheel jack would be a great subject for penny dreadfuls like how did that come about because i think i don't remember when i did my my episode because it was so long ago don't think Springheel Jack was the first one. I do remember like Sweeney Todd was one of the first ones. I don't yep. remember when Springheel so, Jack came about. So during this time, obviously, it was very common for Victorians to take news straight out of the newspapers and quickly convert them into plays that would be shown, you know, around town. So a number of accounts were written about him and the earliest fictional telling of Springheel Jack was actually a play called, weirdly enough, Springheel Jack, The Terror of London. And that was written in 1840, so just two years after his first sightings by a man named John Thomas Haynes. And in this play, Jack was portrayed as a villain who attacked innocent women as a form of revenge after being jilted by his sweetheart. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, a few years later, the next telling of his story was called The Curse of the Radons, which was a play written by W.G. Willis, where, of all things, Jack is labeled a traitor during the Napoleonic War after he's caught spying on Napoleon, and in order to evade detection, he stages all of these attacks. Wow. So... <laughs> the like the fantasy that these people could like the tales they could spin off of is just it's mind-blowing like some of the stories that have come out about spring Heel jack and it was in 1843 was when the first penny dreadful came out about spring Heel jack and it was titled similar to the first play spring Heel jack the terror of london and how, about how long would you say that uh, Springheel Jack was a popular subject of the Penny Dreadfuls? Well, it, it was first released as a weekly in the late 1840s. And then over the course of three years from 1864 to 1867, 
that original Penny Dreadful release was reissued after it was rewritten. And the interesting thing is that both of these were written anonymously. Yeah. And and the third Penny Dreadful series to feature him was published over the course of 48 weeks in 1878 by George A. Sala or Alfred Barrage, who tended to write under a pseudonym of uh, Carlton Lee. And in this, this is my favorite version, and I'm really excited to tell you about it. Oh, cool. <laughs> in this, the third Penny Dreadful installment, Jack, spring Jack takes on this completely different persona. Think Victorian-era Batman. Yeah. So the premise is that he's a nobleman who was cheated out of his inheritance, and by using special boots with compressed springs in the heels, he's able to leap tall buildings, and he uses his powers to right the wrongs of the world and save the innocent from the wicked streets of East End London. Wow. And my favorite part is what he wears. So, (laughs) he wears (laughs) a skin-tight, glossy red outfit, complete with bat wings, a lion's mane, horns, talons, huge cloven hoofs, (laughs) and he somehow has some mechanism that allows him to breathe sulfur. So this version is my favorite of all of the Penny Dreadfuls, just because I love everything about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know, I don't know where to begin with that description. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, it, it, like you said, it's like the imagination, like to come up with a character like that and, and just be able to, it almost seems like with some of these legends, and I don't know if this is, uh, generally how they work but it just seems that like it's almost kind of like a this is really corny but it's almost like a quilt like everybody one of those quilts that like everybody does a little square it's like that kind of sure and it just it just builds and builds and builds Mm -hmm. and everybody kind of contributes it's kind of like a wiki on on the internet people just add stuff and it's it's great because on the one hand you know with a lot of this you know with a lot of this stuff, I am like, well, what's, you know, what can I really take out of this? Like, what was just added and what really should I get out of this? Especially with, like, some of the paranormal stuff you look, yeah, you have to be, you have to be careful. But it's the mm-hmm. same thing with, it's the same thing with history. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to be careful as well that you, you know, that you have your facts to the best of your knowledge. But at, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it fascinates me how people come up with, like, it's almost like they put a little bit of themselves into uh, some of these descriptions and mm-hmm. you, ca- you get a really good sense of people during that time, like what they were thinking of, what they admired, what they mm-hmm. saw when they thought of someone like Springfield Jack. I mean, there's just, there's just so much creativity going into that and mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. And the thing I love about this version, so I mentioned that it it started in 1878. Right. This version was republished in 1889, and then another version of it was also published in 1904. So, like, this version of spring Jack was popular enough where it had three iterations, which is awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, people are still talking about Spring Hill Jack today. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, and like you mentioned, Batman, when I was doing the research for my Penny Dreadful episode, I did see that uh, there were comparisons to Batman there. So I definitely think that's, you know, I mean, it just goes to show how something from the Victorian era is still relevant today, is still very Mm -hmm. influential today. So... So yeah, so uh, what what else did you did you find out? Like I find this subject really fascinating and I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> sure. Um so I can tell you about some of the other sightings that are not as well known. The most popular ones were obviously the ones where he attacked the two women, Jane and Alice, but there were other attacks as well. So in April of 1838, so this would have been 2 months after his attack on Lucy. Sorry, I meant, I meant Lucy, not Alice. Jack was described as being dressed in all fur. And at the time, he was spotted by a gardener in Rose Hill, Sussex, who he growled at and chased on all fours before climbing the garden wall to make his escape. And I was like, are you sure it wasn't a bear? But apparently, yeah. it, <laughs> apparently it wasn't a bear, even though it sounded very much like a bear. I saw something else on Discovery Plus a few weeks ago where that somebody claimed he had a Bigfoot sighting. And then it turned out, uh, I think it was, was it in Tennessee or Georgia or something like that? Uh, turned out it was a guy that had a furry costume on that was just running across the street as a cat or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was another sighting. This one was quite a few years later. So it went kind of dark after April. And then in July of 1847, there was an investigation in Tynemouth, Devon, where a man named Captain Finch was arrested after being convicted of assaulting two women while wearing a skin coat, potentially made of bollocks hide, that included a skull cap, horns, and a mask. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, as we kind of mentioned, like, copycats were going to be something that happened regardless. So I think this was definitely one of those cases of a copycat type of attack happening. Because it didn't mention any of the supernatural aspects of Spring-Heeled Jack that we were familiar with up until that point. And then there was actually a resurgence during the 1850s and 1860s when he was spotted almost everywhere in England but particularly in the Midlands. And sightings of him were so large in number that even even old Duke of Wellington, who was like 70, he would go out armed on horseback to try to hunt him down at night. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, that's so cute. <laughs> and so they, why they took th- it seriously. Yeah. Why do you think this resurgence happened? I think the resurgence happened because... Around this time, there were also multiple reports of the Peckham ghost and the Park ghost at Sheffield. And so I think a lot of people associated these ghostly, like, specter-type sightings and kind of tied them in with Spring-Heeled Jack. Because a lot of the locals believed that these ghosts actually were Spring-Heeled Jack just coming back to terrorize the area. Yeah. I came across a little bit about ghosts yesterday. The Hammersmith ghosts and I think the Southampton ghosts were two ghosts that, like, they had some similar characteristics to Springhill Jack. I don't remember if they mm-hmm. were, like, 
predecessors or if they were around at the same time but yeah that's really interesting how people thought he was tied in with ghosts because i can definitely see how you know people would think that knowing how a lot of people with paranormal i mean i'm not saying it's all paranormal but mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people with paranormal phenomena sure they do think that a lot of it's related so i can definitely see how mm -hmm. people would think that springhill jack is related to the ghosts yeah another notable sighting took place in august of 1877 in the military barracks of aldershot so a, a group of soldiers were stationed at the barracks when a sentry noticed what to him appeared to be a strange figure in the dark and the figure shot out slapped the sentry in the face oh and when the guard took aim and shot at it. It seemed to have no effect on the creature whatsoever. And it quickly oh, wow. leapt away into the dark and didn't come back. So following this sighting, the sentries were given proper ammunition and orders to shoot on sight if anything like this figure appeared again. But there were no more sightings at Aldershot following this initial attack, I guess you could say. Wow. I just thought yeah. it was crazy he went and slapped him, of all things. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's rude. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. There was another case in same year, 1877, where Springheeled Jack appeared in Lincoln, Lincolnshire, in the Newport Arch, dressed in sheepskin. He was chased by a mob that shot at him, again, with no effect, and... Just like in Aldershot, he was able to kind of leap away without injury and escape. Wow. And yeah. even though the initial sightings were in England, copycat attacks made their way to Scotland. And this was a really interesting article that I stumbled upon. So it was an incident that happened in August of 1891. And I apologize if I'm saying this wrong because it's Scottish. At Galashiels, the Borders. So this okay. is kind of the area that borders England. Okay. And this report was originally published in the Dundee Courier. And it says, quote, For some time, tales have been going on about a ghost or spring-heeled jack making nocturnal perambulations in Gala Park District and performing ghostly antics. And more or less accurate descriptions of the spirit have been circulated. On Tuesday night, a large crowd was in the market square listening to the town band when a peculiarly dressed female came on the scene. It was suggested that this was Springheeled Jack, and the poor woman was set upon by the excited crowd and had to be taken for safety to the police office. End quote. Wow. I can't even imagine. Like, and it didn't necessarily say what she was wearing, just that she was peculiarly dressed. So I don't know if she was yeah. maybe wearing a cape with like a hood or I don't know what would have been considered peculiar at that point yeah. in time. So, <laughs> but I just can't imagine being attacked by a mob of people for what I'm sure to her was just she was just coming to listen to the band and then all of a sudden you're being attacked by a mob of people. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's wow. Mm -hmm. uh did you did you find out anything about like if were there like any other sightings outside of england or i'm just i'm kind of curious because i would imagine a legend like this would have traveled 
somewhat, but I don't know how much. Yep, so there were a couple more that happened in Scotland. So there was another one as late as 1912, wow. where the townsfolk of Arbroath Angus reported suspected sightings of Springhill Jack, and the local paper noted that ghosts had been seen around town and disturbed young lovers who were meeting on Dundee Road and the Sands. The figure in white was seen walking along the seashore near Mason's Cove when a group of young people rushed down the beach to accost him. Before he could be apprehended, he was reported as making a few leaps before disappearing into the dark cove. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is... I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, obviously most of the tellings took place. It was either in London proper or like South London, the hamlet kind of surrounding London. But then it did eventually kind of branch out to the Midland area of England and then eventually Scotland. So it hit pretty much most of the UK with the exception of Ireland, which is pretty interesting. And Wales, I guess. It was pretty wow, interesting that's... to see just how far his the tales of him spread. Yeah, this is this has been really great. I uh, I really appreciate your finding all this information out. I I think it's I think it's great that people are still talking about Spring Hill Jack because uh, I think he influenced so much. Mm -hmm. And again, I see so many similarities between certain phenomena in. Um, either the paranormal or folklore or, or whatnot. I just see so many parallels and it's, it says a lot about people, like I said, about creativity, like how they can just add maybe something of themselves to a, mm -hmm. a character like spring Jack or come up with their own interpretation. And I, I think, it, I think it's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. There was one person who was suspected of being spring Hill Jack. Oh, and he, okay. And he was actually interrogated by the Lord Mayor of London, John Cowan, but he had alibis for some of the nights that the attacks happened, so they had to, like, let him go. <laughs> but it was a rumor that it was the third Marquis of Waterford due to the fact that he had bad experiences with women and the law. And he was known as someone who would do anything for a bet. And he actually had earned himself the nickname of the Mad Marquis. So wow. he, had, he had mentioned in the past doing similar pranks, not necessarily to the extent of the reports that were made. And that's kind of why yeah. he was suspected of being spring Jack. But as I said, ultimately, he was let go because... He had solid alibis for the majority of the, the attacks that were reported. Wow. I thought that was yeah. really cool. And that was kind of noted in one of the Penny Dreadfuls that I stumbled upon on Project Gutenberg. And I can send you the links to all of my source material as well. But That would be great because I, I, I usually put that in the show notes. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, definitely. I like to... I'd like to share those as much as possible. So, yeah, so that's about all I had. I want to just leave this with you. Like, anything else you'd like to share, either about spring Jack or about ye old crime or both? We kind of mentioned, you mentioned during, like, that, what the initial attack when he went to the girl's door that it reminded you of a vampire. 
Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because in A Penny Dreadful in 1843 that was called The Old Tar and the Vampire, it included a villain who was very much like Jack, but he wasn't specifically called out as being spring Jack. Oh. So it like very kind of closely resembled the story of what happened to Jane Aslop. So also. So I thought that was interesting as you were saying it, and then I kind of forgot to mention it, but I thought that was an interesting parallel. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for bringing that up. It reminds me a little bit, too, of my mother watches a lot of, like, Law and & Order and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of the movies, like, they say they're ripped from the headlines. Yep. And it kind of it seems like that's kind of what people were doing with Springfield Jack. Like, they were taking mm-hmm. stories about actual things happening, and they were adding that to the legend. So that's that's another thing that I talk about a lot on my show, that it just shows how, as time goes on, people still tend to do the same things or the mm-hmm. same types of things. And you can see all these similarities between how people react to media today and how they react back then. Like, even though the memes might have changed a little bit or they might be more advanced now, the basic idea is still the same. People are still looking at current events and they're actually bringing that into their art whether back then it was whether it was in the penny dreadfuls or in the Mm -hmm. plays like they found a way to incorporate that into their art and their culture and i i just think that's so fascinating how people do that it's like they're trying to make sense of what's going on in the world Mm -hmm. yeah when i was researching i was surprised by how many plays had been written about him there were you know was it it was like five different plays that were written about him that were yeah. performed. And that's just the ones that I was able to find online. I'm sure there were more than that. But it was just very interesting that, like you said, they would take things ripped from the headlines and create yeah. stage plays out of them. Because that was a, a huge thing back then for entertainment as well, was just going to see these stage plays. And I will say, the last reported sighting of Spring Hill Jack in England was in Liverpool in 1904 where he was seen leaping up and down the street at Everton before jumping onto rooftops and disappearing forever. That's another (laughs) thing. Like, I wonder if that was the last sighting. Like, why was it the last sighting? Like, did people find another character maybe to take his place? place like i don't know it's it's inter it's really it's really interesting like something something that you know i'd love to look into more (laughs) yeah yeah it was really interesting because if you if you think about it from his initial sighting to 1904 that's 67 years yeah of of him being part of you know local legend and pop culture type of figure so that's a long span of time for someone to be terrorizing a continent really but yeah yeah so yeah it was it was fun researching it because like i said it was interesting to learn about the different stories of his attacks that i didn't really know about i thought the one about him being a bear was pretty cute yeah 
<laughs> it was just so <laughs> random. Um, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, was it real? Was it, you know, exaggerated? It's it's hard to say because back then, you know, newspaper reportings were very, to some extent, sensationalized to sell papers. So it's hard to say yeah. how much of it is based in reality and how much of it was just sold to the extreme to get people to buy penny dreadfuls or buy newspapers or whatever the media was in which they were consuming the story of spring Hill Jack. So. Yeah. It, yeah. It's definitely, uh, you, you've done some amazing research. I mean, I'm just really, I'm so impressed by what you've come up with. I really, I really appreciate your coming on my show and talking yeah. about it. Yeah. No problem. So yeah, that this was great. I mean, I really loved having you on. So if you just want to maybe talk a little bit more about your show, um, sure. I, I'm not going to ask you what your next episode's on, but um, how often do do episodes come out? Sure. So we drop new episodes every Wednesday, and then usually twice a month we have bonus content that comes out on Saturdays, and that's our "Can You Crack the Cramford" segment where we have guests like Marissa come on um, <laughs> and we do an interview and then see if our guests can guess the meaning behind a few Victorian slang terms. And that's always hilarious. And in October, when I'm sure this comes out, we will we'll be doing a bunch of paranormal themed stories. And then we will have oh, cool. a Halloween special where both, Maddie and I will be sharing some paranormal stories that we will have discovered in old newspapers. So oh, that's, ex- that, that sounds great. So I'm very excited for that episode. But yeah, that's what October will look like for us is come for a lot of spooky stuff. That sounds awesome. And where can people find you? Sure. So you can find us on yieldcrimepodcast.com or you can also visit our link tree, which is link tree and then it's ye old crime and that's old with an e we're on twitter at ye old crime pod instagram and facebook at ye old crime podcast we're also on tiktok at ye old crime podcast i don't post as much there as i probably should because i'm i'm not as hip as the youths are and it takes me a little while to figure out how to use it <laughs> honestly i've never been i've never been on tiktok i I've it's seen- probably for the best once again i would like to thank Lindsay valenti for coming on my show and bringing us so much great information about spring-heeled jack and just being an awesome guest and i really hope i get a chance to talk to Lindsay again sometime i will leave links to the sources that Lindsay used in preparing for this episode in the show notes along with a link to uh, where you can find Ye Old Crime and uh, contact Lindsay. And if you've never heard Ye Old Crime, I really hope you check out the show because it is really, it's one of the ones that I listen to every week and I, I have to listen to it like the day it comes out. I'm a really big fan of the show. Once again, I'm also going to leave links to all of the places that you could go to if you would like to help out victims of Hurricane Ian, as well as links where you can contact me. And I just want to thank everybody who is listening for 
all of your continued support and all of the wonderful things that you have to say about my show. It really means a great deal to me, and I am always looking for ways to make this show bigger and better. So I am really excited. It is the the first weekend of October, which is my favorite month. Of course, I am starting it off with a heavier heart than I have in previous years, but I am excited about the two future episodes that I'm doing for the month of October because it is the spooky season and in my opinion it is the most wonderful time of the year. So thanks again for listening and for all of your support of the show. I will be back in slightly less than two weeks with a brand new episode on a very October appropriate topic that I'm really excited about, but in the meantime, even though I didn't open the show with a quote like I usually do, I am going to close the show with a quote that I found online. This is from a spring Jack Penny Dreadful that I found online. I don't know the year, but it looks like it was called A Leap for Liberty, and if you follow me on Twitter, I am going to post this after I put this episode out. Uh, The quote that I'm going to read is in a little box at the bottom of the cover. And on the cover, like I said, you'll be able to see it on my Twitter. But if you don't have Twitter, it just shows several soldiers holding their bayonets in the air. And even though they outnumber Springheel Jack, who's hovering above them, I really don't think they're any match for him. As an arrow speeds from a bow, Springheel Jack rose in the air, and as he hovered for a moment between the bayonets, a pistol gleamed in his hand. There was a spurt of fire, the officer fell, and then Springheel Jack was gone.